Hi, I'm Carl. And I'm Tim. And this is the all-new, all-different Goat Kicker Podcast. This season, take a look into the Hickman-Krakoa era of X-Men comics, and today reviewing material in Dawn of X, Volume 1 and 2. Professor Xavier's still a jerk. Welcome back to the Goad Kicker podcast, the internet's first and best Sandman podcast, where we talk about all things <laughs> Neil Gaiman. This is Tim. Hi, Tim. Hey. <laughs> Were you uh, aware Sandman that I was mystery. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Sandman Mystery Theater, yeah, right? Sandman That's mystery what I theater. read. Well, yeah, but I guess. I was talking about the Kirby Sandman, you know, the uh, six issues from the early 70s. But I guess if you want to do new stuff, that's fine. <laughs> So anyway, um, I'm kind of almost disappointed that as much discussion as there is out there about Sandman, that it really hasn't caught on uh, with the big nostalgia boom, at least visibly on the social medias as I anticipated it would. Do you think just comic properties in general now are kind of failing to ignite like that? I just I, I pictured this show coming out maybe even 10 years ago. It would have just blown the doors off everything. Yeah, it would have been, you know, Iron Man coming out. But I think I think if, if you're a comic book property trying to capture an audience, you've either done it or there's there's nothing more to try and capture you. Like there is an entire Netflix audience that's not comic book audience. There's an entire Marvel movies like it's done. Like you're not going to pull in new audiences and the overlap is non-existent yeah i think so yeah and it's been funny and i know that we're an x-men podcast this season but uh, i just wanted to mention this because we talk a lot about the comic industry as a whole but i guess we shouldn't call it the industry we should call it the hobby um i talked to one of the guys at one of the local comic stores and that show premiered on a thursday night i believe i don't know if it was a midnight premiere or if it dropped that night but I was at the store Friday afternoon and he told me they had already been inundated with calls of people asking if they had copies of Sandman number one, the floppy, the floppy. And not because they wanted to read it, but because they wanted to speculate. And uh, it kind of broke my heart a little bit because that's always been a part of comic collecting. But I feel like now there is no, I saw this thing and I have to read all of it immediately that that response is and that hope for that response is gone uh that media blitz it doesn't it doesn't synergize and so all it really does is is drive up prices on comics that the same you know percentage of our hobby are just trading with each other because they all want to be the one on the block that has it so uh that was kind of a loss of innocence for me here recently just because i i really thought maybe that show and i'm not the biggest sandman fan but i really thought that show would really drive people to comic books but uh it sounds like it's the same old shenanigans i think to to flip it and a positive approach though is um the comic book visual or you know um you know tv movie properties we're always second tier 
compared to the books like the marvel comics publishing was the was the pride and anything they licensed out to be made was kind of second tier and so the the tv show yeah, (laughs) yeah and the and the content that was created was second tier so now that the movies and tv and all of that and even you know video games everything is now such a premium product now we're finally getting a quality story and now the comics are being left behind yeah you know and so they're they're showing their cracks a little bit yeah but to, to those of us who are comic first you know we want the tv and the movies to drive comics or to drive people to comics but the the movies and the tv are not being made to drive people to the books they're being made because they on their own are great well or they're being made because then the writing is already done and they already own the property (laughs) you know but they're all yes but i mean they're all still producing a almost completely new concept behind it so it's not even they're not even saving a ton of money right they don't have to do character designs you know from scratch but right you know, but I think for us, we want the movies to drive new comic readers, but the people making these shows, that's not a goal of theirs. And right. I think that's okay. I think I'm okay with it. I just, I I have this stupid dream that's completely unrealistic that all this new attention would drive comics back into ubiquitous nature. And we'd see them on spinner racks and in grocery stores and gas stations, but it's just not going to happen ever. And but so I, th- I think it did. I think it happened. It's just not comics for right. me or right. you. It's, well, maybe. it's smile. And it's, uh, you know, it's the six by nine graphic novel format that teenagers and younger it's dog man. It's, you know, it's all of those, like that's, the you know the best selling comic this year last year and the pre- previous five years was you know a middle grade graphic novel through Scholastic and you're saying I'm never going to be able to walk into a quick shop and buy Strike Force Moratory number one again. Um, what's a quick shop? <laughs> <laughs> so welcome back to old guys talking about comic books. But yeah. Uh, so anyway, we're an X Men podcast, and the X Men movie franchise is probably better not discussed at this point. But um, you and I are hopelessly uh, drawn to um, the floppy, the floppy comic, because that's part of the experience for us. Um, neither of us are hardcore collectors. We both go through cycles where we purge everything and start anew um, to different degrees. Um, but guess what I bought here this week? A trade. Well, I, I probably bought ooh, ooh, Omnibus. Omnibus. You bought well, the X-Men Omnibus. No, I did not buy the X-Men uh. Omnibus. But yeah, that which one? Holy crap. There's so <laughs> many. But um, I bought my 20th BCW short box. <laughs> Yeah, oh. uh, I let, we just did some some I'm gonna call it renovation. It's not renovation. Some reorganizing in our basement, and in order to make everything we want to work, I think I need to get rid of a filing cabinet. So I have two. All the comics will fit in one, but there's not much room left over. So you have a and finite collection now. So I I can probably only purchase another 
250 comics before I've got a purge or uh, find somewhere else to store them. So, so your, your collection will be curated, though, because every time you add something, something else will go and the quality will just increase, increase. Yeah, quality. That's exactly yeah. what's going to increase. <laughs> as I, what did I buy this week? I bought um, the Firestar mini series. Oh, wow. <laughs> I've read that one. And uh, yeah, that. Spider Man and his amazing friends, Firestar. So they went weird with her though in that miniseries. We should probably talk about that miniseries someday. We we'll just do a an eighties miniseries it, episode. Good grief! They were lousy with her for lots. like three years. That's yep. a weird mandate they had. I don't know. But anyway, that'd be a good topic someday. Um. So being somewhat addicted to buying and seeing floppies, but both of us hating storing and owning floppies um i went ahead and did this thing anyway our friend menachem uh over at escape pod comics in long island um a nice convenient uh lcs to have for my pull box right <laughs> several <laughs> states away just a few yeah you know what it at least one time zone away right so um but he i inquired with him if he had any of the hawks and pox issues because you and i both kind of went out and we're going to buy them because there's not very many and we both enjoyed the story and uh more than that we both i think had a similar thought that there should be billions of these just stuffed in bins uh because they're somewhat recent and they were overproduced and there was multiple variants and they really aren't that well represented at our local comic stores and um. Like, yeah, I mean, it was hard to glean. I've got a few. Did you get a few? I, I've not, I've yet to find one. I've been the well. I mean, you probably went there first, so. Well, I probably got the ones. Yeah, you were gonna get yeah. next, but but I only have one of Powers. Yeah. And uh, House of X, I have five of the six, but some. I mean, they're variants, right? They're not the A cover, which I usually like the A cover, but whatever. So anyway, we talked to Menachem. I asked if he had a bunch of those stuff back in his boxes, and he said he thought that he'd already put them into grab bags, which is something he does to kind of uh, bleed off some uh, overstock with recent back issues. But he still had them. No one had picked them up. And so Tim and I got four apiece of these grab bags, uh, allegedly are just X-Men comics from the Hawks Pox era, Although I don't know if that's guaranteed. And because, yeah. you know, it could yeah. be, it's fun. Yeah. Um, Tim and I have um, maybe differences of opinion on how awesome grab bags are <laughs> when it comes to comic <laughs> book stores. But this will be fun. And this is an audio podcast. So those of you listening audio, don't think that you've missed out on some video because this is a very visual segment. We're aware of that but we're going to put you through this anyway. So you're going to hear us open these grab bags. We'll open them all up at once. I'll actually pause it so we don't get all the tearing of the bags. Yeah. And then we'll go through which ones we got. And then we'll get into business of reviewing these other books. How's that sound? Real. Let me give 30 seconds to Escape Pod Comics. So based in Long Island, uh, Menachem runs Escape Pod Comics, does mail order uh, service. So pull box file easy to update and manage and then he ships out um and you know i every time i've ever gone to a city 
to whether it's work or or vacation or anything like that i always find a comic shop and so i've been to new york once i took the train 52 minutes and two uber rides to get to a skate pod and without even a close second place the best comic shop i've ever been to um i spent you know a couple hundred bucks on stuff that i had never even heard of well when i was there just like oh yeah you're gonna like this what have you and he just has a talent to say like hey what do you like you know what movies do you like what books do you like and he'll find you something that is really off the beaten path and amazing and he's turned me on to a lot of pretty amazing stuff so even if all you do is follow him on twitter or instagram it's worth a follow he has a pretty amazing um, insight into the industry and if you want to buy books from him even better and you know for guys like us who are sort of into the uh single graphic novel especially like the the foreign stuff it never ceases to amaze me that i'll see his posts on instagram and be like whoa 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 what's this now and end up it being my favorite book that month you know and so it really is worth following him. Um, we'll go on and on about him over the episodes. The Escape Pod Comics is sort of our de facto sponsor. Um, they're going to have a little uh, little commercial, I think, here in the near future. They're working on for us to drop in here, and you can hear uh, them kind of extol the glories of their services. But I'm here to tell you, if you order from him, he will ship um, in the United States. I don't know about international. I don't know how far this podcast reaches, but... <laughs> global it's like Omaha global. Nebraska you know but um but anyway yeah so right. I'm glad you did that because yeah I was neglecting to maybe pimp him out but he is on Facebook he's on Twitter uh Instagram I think he had a TikTok for a while some weirdo was making beats for his comic book uh, raps <laughs> they're terrible you know <laughs> So anyway, all right, let's take a quick uh, break. And then, yeah, we'll we'll do this, you know, off air so that nobody has to listen to the bags being open. Yes. And then, obviously, we'll put pictures on social media so you can see the covers we're about to talk about. See, see what we bought. But um, yeah. you probably won't need to see them because Tim and I will do such a great job describing them with our words. Yes. Yeah, all right. So I'll pause this so we can tear some bags open. Okay, we're back. We opened our four packs apiece. Uh, there wasn't an amazing Spider-Man number one in here. So we'll just amazing. Through. What is this amazing fantasy? Yeah, that's not even the first issue. No, it's like the end of the book. Yeah, ridiculous. What so we got lots of X stuff, as promised. Yep. In between the I'm, two, of us, I'm probably more excited about these than you are. Well, especially the stuff that's not in the trades, right? Yeah. Some of these, I don't know that all the series that came out in the wake of Hawks and Pox ended up in these trades. And we'll talk about that in the next segment. But um, I have Powers of X number six. It's the foreshadowing variant edition. Oh. And it has everybody bowing to Sunspot, I think. Oh, Sunspot. A th- I think that's him. You I mean know. Roberto de Acosta? <laughs> sure. Whatever his name is. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I got one Powers of X. Pretty happy with that. But other than that, 
We got a bunch of post Hawks and Pox books. See, I got pre Hawks Pox. I got the a bunch of the stuff leading up to. I think if I had to make a guess, you know what? I can look at the date on this. Some uncanny X Men. Um, 2019 so right this is probably the series right before oh um pox pox and i got a bunch of them so almost a whole run to see if it leads up to hox pox or if that was no start no it's just it was just uh like hey let's do whatever we feel like until hickman takes over and does whatever he wants to do um but i think for the Hox Pox books for me, the three that I think are standing out of the six so far, I got a couple issues from each of the three. So I got Marauders 2, which has one of the greatest pages. So, yeah, um, I got Marauders 2, 3, and 6, and that's easily my favorite of the series that we'll be covering. Um, I actually had already ordered one, two, and three off of the internet because I liked them so much. Uh, and uh, so I should have just waited. Little patience. Mm, you know, I almost bought the Hawks Fox trade yesterday, um, completely forgetting that we were going to do these uh, grab bags and that like they might have some in there. So, yeah. Patience. And yeah, Marauders, Page. Marauders 2, last page. Pretty solid. It's awesome. Yeah. So, so. of my other comics here, uh, some of these are the ones that were that are included in our... Wow, this one must have been really overordered. But I got uh, several issues of Fallen Angels, uh, which I'll save my opinion for when we get on the other side of the break. I got some New Mutants, some Excalibur... Got one X-Force here, number eight. It'll be a while before we get to that. I got an X-Men Gold. I don't know what the heck X-Men Gold is. That was like pre-Hoxbox and pre-whatever before that. So there was X-Men Blue and Gold. Colin Bunn wrote Blue and Mark Guggenheim wrote Gold. Wrote gold. And then about halfway, they both ran about 36 issues. And then about halfway through there, they came out with X-Men Red um, and an X-Men Black miniseries. Oh, wow. So for the like for the nostalgia readers like me, you know, that 91 X-Men number one Jim Lee era, like that was X-Men Blue and the Uncanny book kept going and that was the gold team. So that blue and gold are important. So That was the actual continuity for a while then. Yeah. They're not like a side book. No. So, yeah. So, X-Men, you know, one of the many times they relaunched X-Men, they did Blue and Gold as two titles running simultaneous. So, The only cool thing yeah. about this one is, well, maybe there's something cool inside, but it's um, it's got uh, Omega Red on the front. Oh, yeah. And uh, I haven't really seen him in comics at all. He's been in the Wolverine books recently. Um, and... I haven't, you know, I'm reading Hawks Fox and reading up to now, but I'm like, there's like a Wolverine book, Omega Red, heavy in it. And I'm like, I just want to jump in. So he's a character that gets my attention every time. Yeah. Good deal. Well, these are fun. I'll probably th flip through some of these, but some of those we're going to read. 
there's a bunch of Generation X in here, which I don't know anything about. I open up the front cover and it gives like the roster. And yeah. It's Jubilee, Bling, Kid Omega, Nature Girl, Morph, Hindsight, and Eye Boy. Which uh, which issue? This is issue five. On the other ones, it has like a legacy numbering. Oh, oh, so okay. I was thinking the original Gen X, but no, well, that's even is, a. This is 2017. Second. Okay. So anyway, I got nothing. <laughs> Morph, I I think I saw him on a cartoon once. Yep. Kid Omega shows up in some of our reading, and Jubilee, of course, is in the Charles exclusive comic that I have. But yeah, yeah. So all no, right, these are fun. Yeah, fun stuff. Thanks, Menachem. If you're listening to this, I doubt you are. You're a busy man. Uh, so, Tim, let's take a break, and we'll come back, and we'll jump into these trade paperbacks. All right, welcome back. Uh, we are getting into Dawn of X, Volumes 1 and 2. So Dawn of X covers everything right after Hawk's Box. Um, volumes one and two cover six books, um, and we're going to talk the first two issues of all six books, and we'll take them take them one series at a time. Um, so, as always, uh, we're going to talk spoilers. We're going to talk details of what happens in each issue. So, if you haven't read them, here's your here's your warning and chance to bail out, and we'll help you come back. Uh, but let's talk, you know, flagship book, X Men written by hickman um illustrated i am gonna butcher the name but leonel francis you uh jerry alan gualan and sunny go on colors um this is really a cyclops focused book uh you know hickman writing this one uh cyclops house is kind of the the catalyst for all of this a lot of family drama so it's cyclops it's Jean Grey, it's Cable, it's Rachel, it's Alex, and I can't remember all of the summer's people, you know, and it, people come and go. And and Wolverine, for whatever reason. He's like the uncle that nobody wants, so he gets to live there too. Uh, but yeah, this book really focuses on this, the summer's family. Um, and we reveal that pro-human group is still active and fighting from... Uh, which issue was that? The the Hawksbox issue where they fight the Master Mold, whichever one it was. Yeah, I yeah. it all blends together with the trade paperback. Yeah, so so we get the uh, the female leader of that, uh, the human leader of that um, facility, is still alive and not super happy. Um, but Cyclops and Storm and some kind of classic X-Men characters are, are still doing their sentinel fighting thing in this book. And so really get to see that. But X-Men so far, issue one and two, really focused on the Summers family. So my, my main takeaway on X-Men, on X-Men specifically, is it's not very new reader friendly. Not at all. <laughs> None. <laughs> um, we talked about this briefly when we met up this weekend. I mean, they have this whole barbecue at Cyclops's moon house, which is a thing, by the way. But yes. um, I don't know who any of those characters are. Uh, and a lot of them aren't name checked. 
And so, and Cable is like a teenager. Yeah. And there's no explanation at all. And so obviously a lot of this stuff happens prior to Hickman. So like Cable, it's like young Cable and that happened before Hickman. So I think there's a lot of like, if it happened before, you know, Hox Pox, then I don't need to talk about it because you're X-Men readers and you've always been X-Men readers. But as we'll see later, like New Mutants specifically, they go out of their way to talk about resurrections. So I'm like, dude, everybody's resurrected. You need to name check all of them. Yep. Uh, I was, so I'm pretty avid reader on this, you know, and I, X-Men, I've been, I've been absent for a long time, but. But you're like two decades behind this, your current reading, right? I'm like three and a half decades Isn't that on crazy? my current reading but i've been you know i've i've checked in every once in a while but it took me a while to realize that that was not hope summers that it was rachel yeah and and, and obviously the visuals it's rachel but the stuff she was talking about and the way they were treating her was was weird so i was like i was a little confused on who this is and why are why is everybody like oh cyclops you're my dad like like no not really i like so yeah the cyclops summer's family barbecue is weird weird for a first issue yeah weird for a first issue terrible for a new reader and just not a great issue to be honest so to to put it in perspective we just came off of hawks and pox which was confusing in its way but it had a natural story to it and it even had a conclusion that we knew it was setting up something else but it was it it was wrapped up the story had been told and there was a new status quo this starts and maybe hawks and pox happened maybe it happened 50 years ago like yeah. there's nothing tying it to that. Suddenly he's on the moon. He's having a barbecue. They're talking about missions. Orcus is back. There's a new bad guy who's in control, who apparently was in control the entire time during Hawks and Pox. Isn't mentioned even by name once, not even in the data sheets. Um, in I, I read it again, and his name is Devo. <laughs> D-E-V-O. Oh. Or his, it's like... He has a title, so it's like Lieutenant Devo. I don't know. It's not Lieutenant, but, you know, Commander Devo. I had to read it a second time. And that's, I only read the pages he was on to try and, and figure out his name. And thematically, he's like the, like the anti-Cyclops because he has no vision. And he has these, yes. like, technological, <laughs> instead of being Super genetic, cool glasses. Oh, man. It's like, what is happening here? Hickman... <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah not a just and it was all over the place like there was a, a rescue mission there was a barbecue there was the the humans you know getting together there was just so much going on and all of it was just like thrown at you with no name checks no explanation at all and like i don't need a dat i don't need a page telling me about young cable you can build that in and considering how many words they spend talking about like the, 
like how well I want my steak cooked. Like you've got some space to give me some information and they choose not to. Well, we'll come back to the con- contrast, the lack of development in this one with something that happens in X-Force. I wanted yeah. to the contrast, but um, just as another contrast, this issue sets up none of the supporting cast at all. That's what Tim is saying. There's nothing, not even an attempt, but there's a two page intro showing the first time that professor X gave Scott Summers, his Ruby glasses so that he could open his eyes. And so that's where I, I think, okay, Hickman has something he wants to tell us, but he can't tell us at the pace that he wants to. And so like, this is Hickman made a pitch to take over X-Men and reinvent it. And he, he started with Hawksbox and then he's he's the head editor of all the books and controlling architect of everything that happens. But you also know that they've got to sell six books a month or more. And he has a story to tell that's not going to fill six books. And so the two pages where Cyclops and Professor Xavier interact, I think is the only thing that mattered in this issue because Hickman planted all of those seeds in Hox box to this is not Cyclops that happened in spring of 2019. It's not the same character and I'm speculating on that, but it's heavy speculation on heavy clues. But but I think there's something kind of unsettling about that character, even for a casual fan like myself because I don't recall Cyclops ever, I mean, in the Bendis stuff, uh, that was Bendis, wasn't it, that did like the, when the old X-Men came back through yeah. time? Okay. Yep. So he broke off and he was like his own faction. They had a, almost like a, a mutant civil war going on there for a little while. And he was sort of a leader and made the hard decisions. Um, not too long ago, he made the hard decision to kill Professor X, Right. Uh, with that AVX or something. Something, yeah. So he kind of fits that mold, but here he almost has like subservient to Magneto and Professor X, but then when they're not on the page, he's like the king of Krakoa and everybody defers to him. And then his children, he talks to them like this is Lost in Space or Johnny Quest or something. <laughs> like well, they're on this big adventure too. and he's like, oh, dad. Yes. Like, Yes, I don't know how many times they've said dad. Oh. And I'm like, I'm sorry, Cable is like a 20-year-old kid obsessed with machine guns. He's not going to say dad this much. And it, yeah. I think issue two, it's oh, almost yeah. unbearable. That's what I was going to say. When it, By the time he hits issue two, and it's him and Rachel and Cable. Yeah. Is Cable and Nathan? Nathan, yeah. Okay. And, and so they go to this island that appears suddenly. And that's another problem. We've had two issues, and there's been two major developments that just happened. Like, boom, boom. Yeah. Um, suddenly there's this island, and it's near Krakoa, and Krakoa wants to hump the island, and it does. <laughs> and on the island, there's some kind of, like, space wizard. Yeah, uh, that's that's right. <laughs> yeah. And then the whole time, it's like a yuck, yuck, yuck fest with Cable, like, oh, I didn't realize he'd push the button on the thermal detonator, or like, 
And oh. then Rachel, let's go to Hawaii on vacation. No. And... Oh, you kids are always bickering. I wish I could take you on road trips more often. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh, it was terrible. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, like I said, there's there was not much in this in these two issues that really needed to happen or or really develop anything. Uh, so, a little disappointing for the flagship book. Really, uh, and I, I really expected this to be Hawks and Pox continued. Yeah. I thought at least out of all these trade paperbacks, there's going to be one killer comic and then some spinoffs. I didn't um, expect which one it was going to be. Right. I just assumed it would be X-Men. And um, so we've got not- six books. And we'll talk about the creatives on all these. But the artist, I, I can't I can't pronounce his name to say. I'll have to look it up. But he's probably the biggest artistic name you've got. He's also the only, out of all six books, this is the only one with a penciler and inker. You know, so like you can tell how much is being put into this book. And then to get Summer's Family Barbecue. Ugh. So, yeah. Um, wasn't the worst of the six. No, it wasn't the worst. It was on the bottom, bottom half for me. But yeah. The uh, there was one page where they rescue some mutants in I you know I can't remember the details but they they rescue a group and it was like an homage to X Men two thousand ninety nine, which <laughs> I didn't I, yeah. catch that at all. <laughs> um, I never read the series, but you know I've, I've seen the covers. I've, I have some of them, but there's this group and the the way they're standing and some of the characters and and stuff. It was just. It just, to me, screamed 2099. So we'll see if that pays off. I I don't think it does. I think it was a throwaway because Colin Bunn told me he's been trying to pitch a 2099 relaunch and after this had come out. So I think he wouldn't still be pitching it if if they had already done something. So, so there's, I don't know. Two stars few, for me. There's a few themes, I think, that are important in the X-Men book. And I can't say that for all of the books that I think will have overarching significance. Uh, one is something Cyclops. That's to be <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. the, the other is, is that Magneto has really wore godhood uh, quickly. There's a good scene where they rescue, they're doing their rescue and they leave Magneto behind to deal with the resistance. And he shows up and uh, there's some discussion of gods and he said, all the gods they'll ever need are right here. And that's how Magneto announces that he's returned to the group. And Scott Summers says that was faster than I thought it would take, you know, but, and then Magneto replies as if he means taking care of the humans, but the context of the panel is that megalomania. Mm -hmm. So we have Magneto already sort of embracing uh, superiority more so than, Probably ever. I don't know. From maybe not. Well, I think. I mean, he's since you know 1960s. He's been saying, "This is what we should do." So it really, it's like finally got his way. Candy store, like, oh man, I've been waiting my entire life to do this. Like, let's get started. So that's the only clear setup for something that to come. And then the third thing is something apocalypse apocalypse in there which is weird because he features more heavily in 
one of these other issues, but yeah. something's brewing with him here as well that I can't tell if it's for Xavier's purpose or counter to it. It's not really revealed. Yeah. So anyway, yep. All I, right. He did set something up anyway. I. There's something to go in, obviously, but Cyclops, man, it's hard to feel. Like the others, at least, have a pretty clear. Like we know where this is going. X Men is just like stuff happens, which, to be honest, a lot of Hawks Box felt that way, until it all comes together. So maybe, maybe we'll hold off hope. So, yeah. All right. Um, yeah, two stars for me. So, I didn't rate this one. Yeah. Um, I, I rated my favorite, which we'll be talking about here soon, but the other ones I felt like were all twos, maybe a three because I was fine reading it, but yeah. All right. So next, next book. Um, I think this is probably the highlight of the six. We get into Marauders number one and two, Jerry Duggan, Matteo Lali and Federico Belli on colors. Um, this is really a kitty book. So a uh, Catherine Pride um, setup is, you know, kitty can't use. So I'm going to call her Kate in respect for her wishes. I'm going to call her Kate. <laughs> Kate can't use the gateways. So she can't travel through. And right away at the beginning, uh, you know, walks straight into the gateway, bloody nose, black eye, which is a wonderful visual through the, through the book. Um. So she can't use the gateways and I think gets a little pissed off and goes and seals the ship and, and sails to Krakoa. And along the way, obviously, picks up some supplies and moves along that way. Um, Emma Frost, so White Queen, um, essentially hires her to be the British trading company or I forget the title they actually use, but um, establish, you know, Emma has been kind of created as this business minded person. And I don't know if that's true to her character all time, or that's a more modern, uh, obviously she has the capability. She ran a school and stuff like you that. Say, yeah. She was kind of conniving, but not so much with business. Yeah. She seems like money focused now, uh, which I guess in Hawks Fox, they, you know, that's her job. So cool. Um, but yeah, so she essentially recruits Kate to uh, provide the shipping services for Krakoa, knowing that it will be mostly black market goods um, and smuggling of people. So, and smuggling then of people and smuggling of Krakoan drugs to developing nations. Yeah, and that was. Did you read the info page? I did. Oh, you must I, have. Yeah. I was going to bring this up because of all of this stuff, and I was critical of the info pages. I loved every info page in the Marauders, uh, from Kitty's message in the bottle when she was drunk yeah. to the discussion of these drugs. I felt like it fleshed out the story even more. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, she has some public missions, she has some private missions, and she has some, like, black ops missions, uh, but all center around her being the captain of a ship and the fact that she can't use the gateways. 
So, you know, they go, they save people from one planet. She's like, well, you guys can go through the gateway. And they're like, no, we'll sail on the boat with you. <laughs> you know? uh, so that's, it was, I, of all the books, this is the, the star of the six. And Kate um, definitely stands out as a, a great character in this. And the fact that she gets drunk and she smuggles, you know, Logan beer and, all of that stuff. It's just a, just a well put together story. Um, and then, yeah, issue two, um, you want to dive into how issue two wraps up? I love issue two. So the obvious story here isn't why she can't get on Krakoa. They tease that, but they spend almost no time dealing with that. She just accepts it. And she immediately, if I can't be in that club, I don't want to be in that club. And she is perfectly at home and she's kind of on this journey of discovering who she is individually because she's always been a part of the team. Uh, Emma even makes sure she mentions all of her goofy costumes from the old days and everything. I've always thought that Kitty was sort of a weird character because uh, weird because of the writers, maybe, uh, mm-hmm. and because of the play on the age and maybe the pseudo romance she had with Logan and who else? I mean, just had a weird relationship with Logan. And then when she was like the headmaster for a while, that was odd. I just never liked Kitty. Now I like Kitty. You know, I understand kind of what they're doing with her. So in issue two, um, Emma has offered her this job of basically being the pirate, you know, uh, for Krakoa. The pirate queen. Yes. And, And she has like a bigger design for her. Obviously, Emma is got something planned. Um, but so much so that she stepped on Sebastian Shaw's toes about it, right? That's Sebastian yeah. Shaw, right? Yeah, and, Black King. Yeah, the Black King, the White Queen, and they're arguing over who they were going to appoint to the, the chair as the Red Queen. And in the final page, the, the most wonderful page of any Marvel comic I've seen in a long time, Kitty shows up in full pirate gear, basically, and says, I'm the Red Queen, bitch. She just is pouring herself a glass of champagne and she's not only accepted Emma's offer, but she's bought completely into the role. And um, I immediately ordered issues one, two, and three, because I've already planned selling off all these Dawn of X trade paperbacks when we're done reading them. And I want to keep the Marauders. And I know they've offered them as a trade paperback, but when I saw that page, I just like, I want to own that comic. (laughs) So Well, that was one of the, uh, only Hawks Fox era books I got in my grab bag was Marauders 2, and it's awesome. And yeah, the, the, even in Hawks Fox, they, they left that um, the quiet council seat. It was the only seat left empty, was and it was Red King slash Queen to really keep the door open. And I think, you know, Marauders issue one, you're like, yep, that's where we're, that's where it's going. You kind of see that coming. But then I love the, the graphic of the end where you see that each of the, you know, so Emma, Sebastian, and Kate are the monarch, you know, so now they have a bishop and a knight. And so it'll be interesting to see where they go. That's with the, the Hellfire Hellfire Trading Company. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I like, and then the Lord Imperial title vacant. So there's somebody pulling the strings of all three of them that we don't even know about yet. So. Well, there was a discussion early on there um, 
kind of in a throwaway panel at the beginning of that issue, even I think where um, Emma's talking to some sort of like spirits. I thought they were maybe the Stepford cuckoos, but they're, oh, yeah. they all yep. look like naked ladies. They're just That's like, who talking. they are. Yeah. yeah. And um, they talked about in there, she kind of has a throwaway line where she, they'll leave the, uh, they'll leave that position open for now. So they're not going to uh, the Lord Imperial. They've just decided to operate without one in their hierarchy. But that's mm-hmm. definitely something that will come into play later. They've seeded it. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, real quick before we move on, the Marauders lineup. Um, I was just going to say, Pyro, we talk about them. Yeah. Uh, I've never been a fan of Pyro, but I like this one. Yeah. And when he gets uh, Lockheed's fire and he's like, oh my God, dragon fire? This is game changer. Yeah, you know? he, just, he needed some sort of spark just to ignite him, and then like Lockheed was there, so that was pretty rad. Yep. So I think Storm is the only one I'm like, eh, I could do with, and she'll she'll slip, she'll step out. Um, well, but and I think Kitty and, and Storm have a history, so it's makes sense. It's Iceman and Pyro, so fire and ice. That was kind of fun. Yeah, and then Kitty and Storm. Um, and then Lockheed, of course. But S- Storm is the moral compass of the group, right? I mean, I, I think Kate is is always like her own compass, but I think or Storm is the one she bases it on. Storm- Whether Storm is there or not, Storm and Wolverine have always been the two that, you know, Kate Pride has looked to, like sometimes you got to get dirty, you know, but there's a, there's still a line for, you know, and depending on the writer, how well that line is established with Wolverine and then storm with the, you got to save people. Yeah. So that speaking of that, of that line. So when Emma is wooing Kate to basically be this role, um, one of the things she tells her that she admires about her is that she's watched her over the years, never uh, kick an enemy even one time extra in the ribs, just because they deserved it for putting her through or her friends through something that she's, you know, but then uh, towards the end of this uh, issue too, um, they get into a fight and they fight uh bat rock, the, the leaper. <laughs> and- yeah and his crew and uh, a man is down and she kicks him just for fun uh, in the ribs. So she's really bought into the pirate thing. I thought that was a nice touch. She's drunk, you know? <laughs> yeah. Those, those, those comments were, you know, an issue apart. So it wasn't as ham fisted as it could have been, you know, it was kind of just, they didn't draw a lot of attention to it. I thought it was a nice touch. I yeah. really like these. I think these are great comic books. Um, the, the art was great. I love that they kept her bandage on her nose and her black eye. And um, and that helps you keep track of the time as well. Like her, her eye gets a little bit better in issue two, you know, so you can kind of see how little time has passed. Do we want but, to talk about black cable showing up? That's Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know what his job is going to be. So I don't understand Bishop. And I think I've read one comic ever with Bishop and it was in the last two years. I for years thought that that was cable. I thought cable was black oh. and I were reading some comic books and cable was in it. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, why is he white now? Like, 
it almost went on my Twitter rant of like typical Marvel whitewashing black <laughs> heroes. And I really did think that Cable was black all of these years. And so now I had a little joke, uh, the co-host of uh, Two-Headed Nerd, I, I talked to him aside on Messenger and him and I are both fans of C-Lab, the cartoon. And there's a gag on there about this. There's Debbie and Black Debbie at the lab, right? And so yeah. this Black Cable. I don't know what he does. I don't know why he's here. I He's in a couple books, though, isn't he? Or I think, yeah, I think he shows up in a couple. And he's he's really like somebody's setting him up for something. But he's not so. as like, grim as I thought those future guys were because like even he even kind of joked about the tattoos when they went to the tattoo parlor. He's like, I already have one. Yeah. I mean, and that's just a little nod. Yeah. But so. I don't know. It's a fun book. And yeah. I look forward to uh, I, that was what drove me into reading the second trade paperback more than anything. Yep. Um, yeah. Marauder is definitely the highlight of the six. So. All downhill. Uh, all downhill. So next up, we've got Excalibur, uh, Teeny Howard, Marcus Toe, and Eric Arseniega. Sure, that's what I'm going to go with. Um, I don't have any idea what happened in this book. Uh, <laughs> Morgan Lefay shows up, which should have been like a, like just a roller coaster for me like i i get really excited when that character shows up and it meant nothing um the best i can summarize it is morgan lefay is in other world and krakoa tries to open a gateway to it and the gateway is in her scrying pool and she's able to contain it and so it's trying to come through and she's like, what is this weird thing trying to come through? And her completely natural, rational and reasonable response is to lash out at every magic user in the world and other world and who knows where and just like cut them off and just go crazy about it. And so... <laughs> So that happens. And so there's some magicians. There's like some London cults, you know, that are there. And I can't keep track of all the people or anything like that. Druids. And I right? didn't care. Um, Ancient order of druids. Yeah. Which I'm sure there's somebody out there like scratching their head and like screaming at, you know, at us because we don't know what we're talking about on this one. But other story. Uh, this one had a lot going on too. So Betsy Braddock is back. Who is she? Her. I had no idea who that is. That's so not she Psylocke, is, is it? It kind of is. So Betsy Braddock was introduced early, I mean, back in the 80s, as a uh, Captain Britain's sister. And she's a telepath and joins the X-Men. Like, she's she's in the X-Men in the Inferno and Marauders, and like, all of that era. And... Captain Britain's sister, British telepath. And at some point in 80s, she <laughs> meant she puts her mind inside of Quanin, who is what you would know as Psylocke. So the uh, Jap I think Japanese 
ninja that you know as Psylocke becomes Betsy Braddock. So she's a British she, woman in the Japanese lady's body. Yeah, so she takes over the Japanese Quanon's body and overpowers her mind. So now it's Betsy Braddock in this Japanese body as a telepathic ninja assassin person <laughs> i haven't gotten there yet in my in my read through so i'll get there eventually this confused um, the heck out of me because i just thought it was psylocke and then psylocke has her own book and i'm like this is super confusing. yeah so so quanon is psylocke and betsy braddock is purple-haired telepath well, in Captain Excalibur. Britain now, right? And and now, so Captain Britain uh, travels to Otherworld to find out why Morgan Le Fay went all crazy. She turns him into a a black shadow version of himself, and then Betsy goes to save him, and he gives her his amulet, and then she turns into Captain Britain or something like that. The most British uh, thing ever. Right? Yeah. A lighthouse On top of amulet. That, <laughs> yeah. Here's my amulet. On top of all that, Apocalypse, I guess, is a magician. Yeah. And this is where I was like, I, I can't roll my eyes fast enough here. Like It was a retcon of all retcons there. And, and stupid. Um, so maybe he's always been this way. but uh, And maybe you're going back to his like ancient Egypt roots here with as a sorcerer but so he's pulling together a lot of the magic users and because why not rogue he needs rogue's power to do something and because gambit can't leave rogue alone gambit comes along so you've got excalibur forming the team forming and it's betsy braddock who becomes captain Britain at the end of this apocalypse as their handler rogue gambit uh and some others jubilee jubilee yeah why not um <laughs> magic users uh, I've, of course jubilee yeah so this team i don't know not, i don't really know where they're Wigan. going no not so, Ilian, or however you say her name <laughs> no not magic um and then somewhere in here so not only is it Betsy and is it Brian Braddock who's Captain Britain? Is it Brian? And then okay. there's the weird. And then they've brother. got their weird brother Jamie, who I guess used to be dead. Um, and then Rogue gets, she absorbs the Krakoan Gateway from the other world, and it essentially puts her in a flower coma or something like that. She's Sleeping Beauty now. Yeah, and I don't know. It's wacky. It was, yeah, and it, like all of this, I'm sure the pitch for this book sounded awesome. Well, uh, have you read Excalibur, the original series? Uh, that's uh, that is the next thing I start. Uh, so, so I've got to finish Inferno and then start Excalibur. For me, being famously not an X guy. I bought Excalibur for the first six or seven issues from the spinner rack yeah, uh, because it was a new series that was coming out. Right. And I liked captain Britain's design. I can't tell you a thing that happens in those books. Cause they're so dense and weird. This felt like those books still 
Like there okay. is a tone to this that still matches and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's missing the art Adams art and it doesn't have the war wolves, which I think are super awesome from the old book. So, and it doesn't have Mojo. So the things that kind of kept me engaged with the old one are gone. Uh, but you know, the old one was like Nightcrawler and uh, Phoenix, right? Yeah, Rachel. Rachel. And so, then, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and then um, Captain Britain. I'm, I'm forgetting someone big. Uh, Megan. Um, Kate. Kate, yeah, Kate was yeah. in there. So I think, so for me, I never, I never, I never got Excalibur. Like I, I never read it. I never picked it up. I never understood it, like why it existed. Uh, it was won't. just, it was the British team, right? <laughs> yeah. But now reading X-Men, I understand. So Kate and Nightcrawler were injured in the mutant massacre and all the mutant in that era. And so they're in Scotland on Muir Island healing when the X-Men go off and die. So to them, they're like, they're the surviving X-Men. And I'm like, oh, that's why they formed a new team because they were the only ones left and they, they form Excalibur. I'm like, okay, that, that makes sense why there's a new book. And it has to be a new book because the X-Men aren't actually dead. And so I'm appreciating it even before I've started reading it, but I don't expect to really fall in love with it. So, and I did not fall in love with this one either. I think this was made for fans of that specific nostalgia. Yeah. It's another one that jumps tremendously into like, Oh, we're going to go to our old lighthouse. All the lighthouse was missing. Oh, there's invisible druids. Oh, you know, like nothing is established. And you and I know Morgan Le Fay because we're nerds, but like, if you were like a new kind of superhero person dipping into X-Men like I am, I just happen to know Morgan Le Fay mostly from Spider-Woman. Yeah. But, um, but trying to like, wait, King Arthur really exists in the X-Men world? You know, it's just like, it's such a weird thing not to explain, you know? <laughs> so, And it's not, yeah, none of these need info pages, but like, come on guys, like there's just no effort at all. And even in Marauders, like no effort at all made to um, introduce these characters at all. And I mean, none of them. So nothing, nothing paid off better for Marvel with this particular initiative, this Hawks and Pox, Hickman and friends, you know, X-Men rally than COVID because yeah. everybody had a little more patience and a little more time to sit and read this stuff. I don't know how well these series do if they're competing with normal speed life. I mean, I don't know. I don't think any of them survived COVID, though. You like, don't think any of these No, did? all of these went to 12 issues, and then X of Swords hit, and there's huge delays, and then they relaunched all of them. So, oh, boy. Um, the Excalibur is rough. Yeah. So, all right, next book. New Mutants, uh, number one, Ed... Is it Brisson? I think Maybe. that's right. Yeah. Um, and uh, Hickman co-writes this one. And then Rod Rice. 
Reese uh, does all art on this one. Um, this one, they actually do a lot of setup because they have to reincarnate a ton of people uh, or, you know, egg them to get them back onto the team because most of this book is setting up the original New Mutants plus a few. Uh, but, I mean, you get almost all of the classics in this book. Um, Rain, Magic, um, even Danny Moonstar is back. Like, I, I've never even known that character until i read the original so lots of the original team get together and they i guess for some reason sam uh, you know cannonball is in the shiar capital I don't, I don't maybe i missed it he's married or um or romantically involved with that super guardian or whatever her name is the one that no. punches Sunspot. When did that happen? Uh, issue two. Oh, oh, okay. Um, oh, I'm saying when when it sets up, like when when the book starts, they're like. Oh, but that's why he's there, is because he's yeah. At some point, said, "See you guys. I'm running off with this chick." Yeah, but but prior to this issue, or you know, at when issue one starts. They're like, yeah, Sam's in in the, the Shi'ar capital, and even they act like they don't know why, and they've got to go rescue him. And then when you get to issue two, and you you find out like, no, he just went. Like, so it made no sense at all. But they're like, yeah, we got to go to Shi'ar space, and I guess we'll go with the Star Jammers because they just left the Summers house, yeah. and the Star Jammers ship has. Um, a gateway because why not so the new mutants hang out with the star jammers and they have one cool page where magic cuts the guy's arm off and it's like dude suck it up uh you it's a it's a fake arm and then they piss off all the star jammers get ditched in shiar space and and then yeah then they finally get caught up with sam um and we, you know, so we find out where he's at or you know, why they're there. But it really felt like the original New Mutants. And, and I think <laughs> good and bad, right? Yeah. Just this is just more like is Wheezy writing this because it is all over the place. I mean, it felt like early Claremont New Mutants, like like they would create missions out of nothing. And then they would sneak out and take the bus to go do them because they were, you know, 15 year olds. Yeah. And so the only part of this that doesn't make any sense is like, they're not 15 anymore. No, like they they've lived not wearing their costumes. Remember? Like, yeah. So it felt like an original new music. Like this book could have like changed the artist and drop it into, you know, right after demon bear. And it would have felt perfect. You know, so very much felt like the original New Mutants run, good and bad. I like the art in these. Yeah. I yeah, the painted art worked really well with a handful of the characters, um, especially. So, and it's always good to see Cypher. 
uh, even though he's neglecting all all of his probably yeah. they they mentioned that in another yeah where like maybe it wasn't a good idea to send the one guy that can talk to Krakoa off on a X-Men too yeah yeah <laughs> Rachel's like it sounds like you did that Scott so um I Chamber... wanted to point out two people here because I wanted to see if you could fill me in Mondo and Chamber yeah Chamber those Mondo. those are uh Generation X characters so I don't I don't know anything about them because I've never read that. I have a follow-up question then. Why? Well. Why add them to the New Mutants? <laughs> the same reason you added Rogue to Excalibur. And um, Pyro to Marauders. Like, I, I think they're just filling the lineup with characters. You know, it can't be just the original new mutants because you're you're missing entire generations of readers uh so bringing a couple gen x characters in is a pretty big and chamber and mondo from what i understand are two of the the favorites uh chamber was probably one of the more highlighted characters from gen x and mondo is fun so i mean he fits in really well i mean they're more like teenagers than Danny. All does. of them act like teenagers. Rain but acts they're... like she did in 1984. Yes. There's Rain, no I'm just waiting for her to start talking about Satan any second now. Yeah, her mom would never let her watch this. Or, you know. Oh, I know. <laughs> Oof. So, it was... You know, it's probably number three for me. It's number two for me. Okay. It's my yeah. second favorite. And yeah. it's, it's bad, but it's bad in the way that we expect new mutants to be bad yeah i've read more of new mutants than i've read x-men that's and that makes honest sense, to god yeah. yeah so yeah i i felt at so. home in this and uh, it was terrible <laughs> yes it was <laughs> and it had a few, it had enough moments that i forgave it and i was like all right this is what it is and it's so like it's written from a place like new mutants was where i can see what they're going for but they didn't have the writing talent to pull it off like that weird like uh frenemy romance between uh, sunspot and uh cannonball yeah and, and it just changes at the drop of a hat for no reason and then they kind of go to fisticuffs and then they're buddies and then they're laughing about his wife punching him in the face and which makes sense if they're fifteen-year-olds, yeah, because that's how fifteen-year-olds act. You but know? it's, but they're not. What so. is going on? Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah. So number two for you, number three for me. But I gave this one a three stars. Yeah, yeah. It's right middle of the road. I would buy the next issue until, you know, Marvel does this thing where they'll throw the Shi'ar in and make no description. I mean. There's 40 years of Marvel lore that's so intertwined. Like the Shi'ar Empire basically is as complex and bizarre as the Eternals or the Inhumans. And um, th they realize that there's no point in explaining it. They nope. hate the Kroll, and, or not the Kroll, the, the Scroll, excuse me. And uh, that's about it. Yep. Uh, yeah. Gladiator, confidence based power. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I love it. So Yeah, the whole thing's right. bad. Let's get into the one of the this is my number two. So I think I probably your number three. 
is my number um, three. Yep. X X Force number one and two. Uh, ben Percy, Joshua Kassara, Dean White. So this one, uh, Domino is captured on a covert mission. And I think most of this issue for issue one sets up the need for island security. So I think it's like they keep talking about how everyone's lulled into this paradise and they're forgetting the fact that like somebody could just, you know, sail their boat onto the shore. Can I interrupt you for a second with that though? So that premise is established in this comic through Wolverine's mouth. Yes. Okay. And it makes perfect sense. It seems in character for Wolverine. If you look at the Marauders issue one, who's the one that basically creates the impetus for the smuggling? Wolverine, because he wants Canadian whiskey and ribs and cigars. And he's goofy and he's out basically. I just, you have one editor with his tendrils and everything, and it just seems so disconnected. I don't think it. it is, but like Wolverine is like, yeah. Kate Pride can sail her boat to bring me beer. So I can but screw around and somebody, drink. But somebody needs to be aware of what boat is coming. In you know, it's Wolverine, so you gotta do it in a hunting scene and it makes no sense, but yeah. But yes, you're you're correct there. Um I am gonna need so of all six books the one thing i'm actually curious about is black tom yeah so black tom is crazy he talks about himself in third person he's nuts he's just weird but can he like control or talk to plants is that his thing i don't know what his powers are his powers are related to a gem right no that's juggernaut with the the amulet or whatever Black Tom, I only know Black Tom from two comic books. I know Black Tom from the very last issue of Spider-Man Marvel Team-Up because the X-Men were in that issue and they fought Black Tom and Juggernaut. Yeah. And then Black Tom in those X-Men comics you and I read where they lived in Ireland and had literal leprechauns in their castle. Yeah. And I still don't know what Black Tom does. So Black Tom... I understood his power as one of those, like just like uh, the Black King, like a energy transfer. So if you shot him, he could shoot it back at you. Is what I thought Black Tom's power was. But at some point, I'm going to say 90s, he's he became infected with this virus or something that started turning him to wood. Like his entire body started to like petrify. And so there were like there was a Deadpool series. There was there's a lot going on with Black Tom trying to cure himself of this. And I can't I can't remember all the details, but so that was my only connection to him with like organic matter was he usually held a stick. Like he had like a, a wooden wooden stick that he would shoot things from like energy blasts like laser beams yeah and so so i'm like of all the books i'm curious i'm gonna have to go read about black tom 
and he is definitely him and Juggernaut are the go-to. Like, hey, we need a an, a villain, you know. Let's oh yeah, Black Tom and Juggernaut. Let's throw them at him. Uh, so I'm gonna have to do some research on that. But he he seems to be the go-to. Like, he can almost talk to Krakoa because of some kind of plant, you know, something. So I need to do some research or maybe they just made all this up and the, we'll the find way out he's written in this comic for someone like myself who maybe doesn't have all the background you could have drawn in mr sinister and left the dialogue and i wouldn't have noticed nope yeah because same it's just bananas cuckoo yeah so but anyway so this issue or this series really focuses on the need for island security and, and they kind of come at it from a lot of different perspectives. Um, but back to the, the the issue setup or issue one setup, Domino is captured and they, a human task force or strike force that really visually looks like the Weapon X program in, in how they're depicted. They use her... Uh, you know, whatever whatever they use they use her you know being her skin to fool krakoa to letting them and so they they jump out of an airplane and parasail or paratroop in um and essentially start murdering uh mutants and issue one so spoiler uh end of issue one you see professor xavier his cerebro helmet with a bullet hole right through the middle of the X, you know, laying on the ground. So uh, Professor Xavier is killed by this human strike force um, all while everyone is running around screaming about how we need island security. So, And then prior to him getting shot, he steps through a gate, goes to some vaguely Southeast Asian country who was hostile to mutants to have a conference, they poison him or something with his drink, and then he comes back and gets shot in the head. And then th- there's almost no reaction to it. It's mentioned like twice after that. Yeah. Any of the books, and they're just like, well, they'll bring him back. The but I th- and that's, <laughs> you know, I think in Hawk's Box, they set up that like there are a couple people that they haven't figured out how to bring them back, but it's in those data pages, you know? And so I think, I think this is just done for the visual effects of that first issue. Um, it, it didn't seem just because of, well, no, I mean, they like telegraph that he's the target, mm. you know, too much for it to be shocking. But I think the fact that we've established this new mutant nation based on his you know, leadership okay now everything is thrown into turmoil except then you know this is issue one then all the issue twos roll in and most of them just ignore it or it's like a throwaway comment yeah and it's just like oh you know we're on lockdown you know but otherwise no big deal like it this should have been like the end of issue six, you know, well, the way all the first arcs end. 
to me, if this was a linear series, just X-Men, yeah. the invasion, the physical invasion after the assumption of peace and safety would have been like prior to the next big season of events. Yeah. Like X of Swords would have kicked off with something because of this. this. Yes. Yeah. It seems crazy for an issue one when you're still establishing what post Hoxpox stories are going to be. So I obviously they want a paramilitary X-Men team. They want special ops, right? That's what this is going to be the violent X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just don't understand why they chose that to set it up. Maybe there's a bigger plot there. Yeah. I hope so. You know, I hope there's, I hope all of these pay off because <laughs> we're going to have to keep reading them, you know, oh, yeah. that's a failure on our part to commit to something before we read any of them. But, uh, so I hope they all come together and they pay off, but yeah, X-Force, you know, for X-Force traditionally is a more violent, it's the strike force. It's the covert ops, you know, book. And that's not what X-Force set up but it had the tone of all of that and then our next book fallen angels is the covert ops book that has the tone of i don't even know you know but so x-force felt yeah it felt like it was trying to do one thing doing something else and hoping you thought it was doing something else so it seems to me like they're going to set up a team to basically be the Department of Homeland Security. Yeah. But With Black Tom and also now we have Dead Professor X and Beast looking for a second Cerebro helmet. And this is where it's gonna happen. I I guess so. So yeah, it it seems it's my second favorite and it seems disjointed. Um uh, so I hope I hope it wraps up. Or I hope it, you know, pulls itself together. So it seemed bold to me as an issue one. Yeah. I mean, we had not that long ago the uncanny Avengers, uh, Red Skull put Xavier's brain into himself at the end of issue one. That seemed comic booky and fine. But in the context of this, it just seems crazy that at the end of issue one, like, oh, we murdered Professor X again. Our island yeah. isn't safe. It just seemed like you're breaking the foundation out from under everything else you're doing yeah so well we'll see we'll see where where they take it but it definitely felt disjointed for me so So let's talk about both of our favorite book favorite book this is i immediately ordered every variant (laughs) cover of issue one after reading this one I look uh, forward to you just explaining this one uh, since I've read it so that you can yeah. tell me what happened in it because I well, don't understand Qu- it at all. Quanin, remember Quanin. <laughs> yeah. So Fallen Angels, number one and two, Brian Hill, uh, Simon Kadransky, and Frank Diarmada on art. Um, so this one is all about Psylocke or... Quanin and her throughout the issue you get her backstory uh, kind of through visions or memories or, you know things like that but a very disjointed backstory and a very 
only what they want you to know backstory but it felt very much like like black widow red room type of stuff um but this is quanon slash psylocke this is the uh, i'm gonna feel stupid if i'm remembering it wrong i think japanese you know ninja slash assassin that betsy braddock took over back in the 90s um or 80s late 80s um but now the two of them are separate and psylocke is her own person no idea where she came from i don't know where she you know what this character was doing before hawk's box but she has one interaction with betsy where betsy's like we need to talk and she's like i'm good like like you do your thing i'm gonna do mine um but she has a vision of a, an incident. And so we learn about this, this drug called overclock and overclock is a, Oh, I'm going to call it a, Oh, I don't know. Neurological, but mechanical drug. So it's not like a, a drug, like an organic entity. It's more like AI entering your body and then, doing this thing it's called overclock and we think somebody named apoth is the creator and distributor of it and i wrote this down apoth is the tetragrammaton tetragrammaton i don't know if that's a real word or not it is you know yeah in the bible you know yahweh w-h-w-h w-h that's a tetragrammaton it's oh. four letters that make up a broader term or, or concept. You know, uh, it, it's the sort of thing you see in like Gnostic literature all the time. Okay. They so Apoth probably has some meaning. Yeah. Like apothecary. Or will. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, you know, it's sort of for apothecary. It's all ham fisted pseudoscience nonsense. Yeah. And it's awful. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like overclock was like every matrixy word I can think of thrown onto a book. This is Johnny Mnemonic era cyberpunk. Yeah. Yeah. Down to the art. Down to the art, yes, 100%. So, Psylocke um, goes to Magneto, tells him about her vision, and he's like, I don't care. (laughs) <laughs> she's like well we should care and he's like i still don't go see go see mr sinister if, if you really care so much so she goes and sees mr sinister and he's like he's weird like i just cannot get excited about mr sinister ever um and he's like sure i'll send you and they're, they're on lockdown because professor xavier just died and so the island is on lockdown and so he's like, yeah, I'll get you out, you know, and they, they do their weird stuff, conversation. And so Psylocke and X-23 and Young Cable um, start to form what should have been freaking X-Force, but they start to form their team. But Psylocke and X-23 go to Japan to investigate this this train incident, and they learn about Overclock and Apoth and all this stuff, and um they go to where they think apoth is and they find some kids on the drug and they all die and 
you know, and you've got these flashbacks of Psylocke's, you know, backstory, and there's this butterfly theme running throughout the whole book, and this, Hack. yeah, <laughs> this girl that um, that destroys the train had the butterfly symbol on her neck, and Psylocke's daughter, who was taken from her in the red room type of conditioning, was being marked, and oh my goodness, I don't care. Um, All of this is setting up essentially an X-Force team that operates under the radar because Sinister can get them in and out of Krakoa and authorize missions and resources as needed. And Magneto knows about it, but you know, he doesn't want to get his hands involved, hands dirty. So he makes Sinister do it. And I don't know why this isn't called X-Force, except they wanted to use the Fallen Angels name somewhere. And uh, yeah, the Johnny Mnemonic all over the place. The only thing I'm going to say, so this one, it is my least favorite of all the six, but it got a better score (laughs) than some of the others because the art not the like actual line work or anything like that but the like panel borders and the layout and the like some of the the panels are are bordered in purple and some of them are bordered in black and like some of them are like butterflies in the background and like this book took some time to draw and there's a lot of thought put into that so in my opinion this is two artists taking a a subpar script and still putting you know a a five-star script work into it so I, i give them credit i don't even understand that why this one was one of their marquee launch books for a couple reasons you took my my comment from me basically is that this is a black widow story and i don't like black widow stories (laughs) same and and, but it's like a black widow story if it was told in the worst valiant comic because that art that highly computerized slick cyberpunk dark everything's a close-up it's like 20 pages of people's mouths and then like even the action scenes in the second issue it's like his gun and then his hand with the sword (laughs) through his hand everything is like the zoom lens is stuck and they're just gonna send it you know it's terrible it's a terrible comic and the art is fine for what's there but it's just so highly polished and like overproduced like for what's going on in the story And then my beef with it was, and it did no favors to put this at the end of the trade paperback. So we have six books that the first six volumes of this trade paperback series are going to chronicle. We have X-Men, Marauders, Excalibur, New Mutants, X-Force, Fallen Angels. X-Men so far has just been the Scott Summer Show. The other five books are each off-the-books teams. There isn't a single (laughs) X-Men proper book here. You have the pirates, you have let's go to England and fight druids, you have let's be teenagers and sneak off out of mom and dad's house to outer space, 
you have X-Force, whatever it'll become. And then you have Fallen Angels, which are like, let's sneak out of mom and dad's house to Japan. Like Murder people. Yes, it's... I don't understand the initiative here. Like, there's not a superhero <laughs> book. There's not an no, X-Men I'm, team here. I'm hoping X-Men proper pulls it together, but I don't think it will. And my only hope is that in 12 issues as most of these you know get to issue 10 11 um not quite 12 i guess but you know somewhere around 10 we they introduce x factor uh, you know and maybe x factor is the 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 response to the feedback that there's no x-men team because that was feedback from the the launch you know I don't the Wolverine launches, you know, around issue seven of all these books, the Wolverine title comes in. I don't think that's gonna be the X Men book, team book. No. But um, I would take Cable. a solo book if he was doing mutant stuff. Yeah, yeah I, I'm actually excited for Wolverine to start because I've been tempted multiple times to try and pick that up, but I kinda knew this was coming, so I, I've held off. But I reached out to, again, Joe, because he's the big X fan that I know other than you, when I was reading this. And I said, I'll never forgive them for putting Excalibur and Fallen Angels in this. And he's like, I didn't mind Excalibur, really. You know, it was okay. He said, but Fallen Angels is pure trash. He said, luckily, it only lasts six issues. So -hmm. when he told me that, I'm like, I can do six issues of that. Yeah. Oh, fine. Six issues. I think think the uh, six issues... For me, the only like positive moment was when uh, X twenty three is it Laura? Nice. Is that her? I don't. Know. Yeah, whatever her name is X twenty three. She just straight up says like, you know, why do you want to do this? She's like, I want to make my own statement. I want to get out from under, you know, Logan's shadow. So the fact that she just is owning that. Um, Maybe we'll see a character emerge, you know, probably not, but maybe. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know. It is baffling to me. This is like your new 52 and you have your launch titles and one of them is Captain Adam and one of them is a Jonah Hex, you know, yeah. like I liked both those titles, but like, that's your give launch me, titles. Yeah, like, give me uh justice league first yes, please so. and so uh, i don't know I, I i'm glad we're reading it in this format because otherwise i'd be like we're just reading marauders and, and that's i so i think we've talked the issues let's talk format for a minute um so we're reading the dawn of x trades which essentially does each you know issue one of all six issue two of all six um until issue seven and then it starts to mix things up a little bit um they play catch up i noticed they'll skip an issue and then do like 12 and 13 of an issue like in one volume or not yeah and i saw like there's one place where x-men 5 is the last book and x-men 6 is the first book in the next trade Oh, weird. So I think that's where Hickman is saying, like, okay, I have something to finally say. 
I'm going to do it in the same way that Hox Pox didn't always go Hox and then Pox, you know? So sometimes he builds something up and then he takes two issues to do it. Um, so I think X-Men five or, you know, so Dawn of X five and Dawn of X six trades, the, the end and beginning of those maybe will form some, some push, but I'm, I'm concerned that I'm not going to be able to remember the details of, you know, Excalibur two after reading six other or, you know, five other issues Yeah, because I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I don't care. So when I get to Excalibur three, like, uh, do I have to skim one and two again? Um, I hope, I hope not, or I'll just read them and, and not care. But that's my only, and that's a me problem. You know, my memory for these issues isn't great, but the journal will help. So I can, I can just flip the journal open to the previous issue and not have to you know, actually read the whole book. But I, when it comes to Hickman, uh, once bitten, twice shy. You know, when the Avengers and New Avengers thing he started, I was into that for like the first seven, eight, nine, ten issues of both of those series. They were publishing maps in the back of the comics of which order to read them in. And it wasn't it wasn't even in release order, which was frustrating. So sometimes a new mutants would come out on a Wednesday, but on the map, it wouldn't be the one to read next. And so I hated that so much. So something like this, where he's going to dabble in and out just to try to move his big master plan forward. I think having them bound in a trade paperback chronologically by his chronological order is best because if you just read X-Men one through six, you'd probably be way further down the road than if you read one through six of Excalibur. Well, and you know, you read X Men two, and you're like, "Wait, what? Professor Xavier died." Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it's it's essential reading. It's just unfortunate that they aren't all. I mean, I didn't give anything more than three stars. Even Marauders, the highlight of the six, still was just. I. It it had moments of great, but it it wasn't. I mean, you know, it wasn't an amazing book by any means. It was just. I gave Marauders a three also, even though I loved it and ordered those comics. But yeah, the reason why was as much fun as I had reading it. There were times when I rolled my eyes because it was so silly and so goofy. And, you know, Iceman and Pyro auctioning that boat off at the harbor. And yeah. <laughs> just it was it felt very like anime, like sometimes anime will break and there'll be like a comedy scene and they'll even illustrate the characters different. And then, you know, I just, I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> Was we'll it? see. But I liked it. Um, yeah. Overall. Uh, I was excited to read the second trade paperback because I wanted to see what happened with X-Men. And then it was almost like it was a reboot again. Uh, and then, oh, there's Nyla now, and now there's this new plot. And so I felt a little burnt by that. So I'm hoping third one, we start to see some pieces maybe falling into place. Um, I'm not excited for Fallen Angels number three. Oh, 
X-Force, I'm kind of curious to see what team comes out of that. And it appears that, like, the Professor Xavier story is going to come out of there. Probably. Although, I, I don't know how or why, but... So, New so. Mutants, you took a bunch of known characters, threw them in the outer space for a road trip adventure to keep them out of Krakoa? Maybe. So yeah, I, I, I think that might be giving too much credit, though. So, Greg Pak, you know, wrote Planet Hulk. The timing of its release uh, was mandated by Marvel because they were coming up on the Civil War and they didn't want Hulk on Earth during that. Yeah. Because it was too much to ride around having Hulk on your team and which side he would take or whatever. Um, that's the rumor anyway. Uh, and they've done that before so with Hulk. So is, so is taking Doug Locke, Cypher, up in the outer space, a way for them to kind of build that bubble so that they have some plausible deniability for something else they're building? Or did they just want another New Mutants book and they didn't have a school to sneak out of? Yeah. I I, I think writing them off planet is maybe too much credit. Like, I, I'd be surprised if we actually see that, like, my only thought, though, is you might be right, though, because Hickman's writing X-Men and co-writing New Mutants, and in X-Men 2, you know, makes goes out of his way to say, yeah, Scott Summers authorized him to leave. Uh, so there might be something there. I don't think it's going to be very big, though. Like, it's not going to be, like, a huge payoff. Maybe, like, somebody got to slip something through because of it, but I don't think it's going to be, like, a an event or, you know, a story arc-driven thing. And then I doubt it's going to be used to draw the Shi'ar into whatever's happening on Earth, right? Yeah. I, I Probably just too early to bring Shi'ar into it. It's really strange. And then I don't know if it's like, is this how they just keep the, mar not the Marauders, the uh, Star Jammers kind of hovering in the periphery? Are they going to swoop in for the save again? And I don't, I don't know what the fascination is with the Star Jammers. <laughs> I really don't. I've never. It's corny. Now that I've, I've read some of the, the original stuff, I maybe like them more than I used to, but like a Star Jammers miniseries, no, I'm good. Having them show up every once in a while is fine. Uh, the Summer's family drama is exhausting, so... Yeah. Yep. That was weird. Well, we'll kind of conclude from here, uh, since we did the, the pull bags at the beginning, as exciting yeah. as that was, but... Um, I do want to ask you before we leave, uh, is there any one character you have a new appreciation for and maybe one that has fallen down your favorite list a little bit uh, as portrayed in these comics? Um, well, I talked about Black Tom being the interest. Like, I want to 
I want to figure out some stuff there. Um, Psylocke was always like a cool character, and now I I could care less. I could not care less in two books about Betsy Braddock slash Psylocke. Yeah. Like I I would I wanted to learn more about that whatever it was that happened, and now I I don't. And I'm gonna have to hear about it twice, you know, from both perspectives. So I hope they just move on, you know, and let's just pretend it didn't happen, and kind of go from there. Um, Kate Pride, uh, I, you know, not just because of Marauders, but some other. Finally, reading the Kitty Pride miniseries helped um, helped me with. Kate Pride and Joe Patrick said that too. Like he hated the character until that miniseries, and I, f- I feel the same way. So I'm excited to see more of her. Um, but there were lots of little throwaway things, like uh, uh, Chamber and Mondo in New Mutants are two that like I'm excited to see more from them. But yeah, I'd say Kate Pride. I'm in. I'm in, and. Uh, Psylocke and Psylocke and Psylocke. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. I think my experience is about the same. I was happy to see Pyro. I always like the Freedom Force when they show up. Um, yeah. And because uh, they always showed up in non-mutant books, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I was a little irritated at the portrayals of Apocalypse because he's always been such a cool character that I don't know anything about from afar. And then mostly in the Excalibur book, I just didn't like him. And he felt wrong. Yeah. And Sinister was weird as always. Um, The New Mutants, I was really excited. They brought Wolvesbane back, but all she did was kind of like lay on the couch and like (laughs) whimper. Like, I don't, which is exactly what she did before. (laughs) Yes. I, Except when she was a murderer. Yes. Like, except when she went through that phase. So. Yeah. So overall, I, there's enough there that I'm curious to go forward. Um, I haven't been begging you aside to, to bail out on this yet. So um, we'll tackle maybe three, four, and five next time. Yeah. At least. I want to see what's on the other side of these initial six issue runs uh, and then we'll re review but there's so many big events coming up that if we quit we'll miss out on because there's x of swords there's the hellfire ball or gala Gala, yeah um they're getting ready for inferno magneto goes through a trial for some reason here pretty soon yeah so there's all sorts of like little events that are going to happen and i hate to miss something fun because I can't stand Psylocke, but and I think yeah the um, the first six issues you know all of these books came out in their own trades as well uh, with you know issues one through six and so there's an obvious pivot after issue six of all of them maybe so, throw everything in and yeah so I think you know getting through issue six in the next probably in the next episode would be. Go, I'd hate to like do an episode getting through five and then 
feel like we have to do an issue just to wrap up each one. Oh yeah. And then start another one. So I think even if it leads to a longer gap or read through, it's probably good to get through six and then, then we'll have some new books coming into the mix as well. So, so then I won't order any more grab bags for next time. No, because we'll have, yeah, we'll have some solid, solid four issues for each series. So 24 comics to talk. Let's do it. Three yeah. through six. Yep. All right. I got my homework. Same. <laughs> All right. Well, as always, if you guys have any comments or anything you want to add to the discussion, you can uh, hop in uh, and give us your comments on Twitter and Facebook now. Um, Goad Kicker Podcast has an account at both. I think it's just at Goad Kicker on Twitter. Um, you can leave a DM there, of course, or whatever you need to do. You can email me directly if you want at carlsmithwriter at gmail.com. And uh, we'll be reading uh, all of these issues we talked about today, these series, uh, issues three through six for next time. And if you want to send us uh, free grab bags, we won't open them up next time, but uh, maybe in the future. Be sure to check out the Comic Fandom Journal. You can buy it off of Amazon. Tim and I designed it. It's super useful. It's perfect for a project like this, whether you're doing a podcast or just doing your own private reading. So you can go back and kind of flip through and get caught up. Um, or kind of record your reactions on the fly. Uh, it's something I'm still pretty proud of. Uh, it's available for you guys to use. Uh, I would encourage you to buy several, maybe 10, 20, 30 a piece, but you won't need them. You'll just need one for a year's time, probably. Good times. Good. It's a good product. Um, also, I would encourage you to check out uh, Escape Pod Comics. He doesn't really have like his catalog on the website, but if you follow him, you'll sooner or later see something you want to buy from him and he'll accommodate you. So uh, talk to Menachem from Escape Pod Comics and um, get you some stuff you didn't know existed and stay far, far away from fallen angels. <laughs> <laughs> I think he sold us what he had left of them. So joke's on us. Yep. So, anything else you want to add, Tim? No, I'm excited to do the next batch. So. I'm excited to get through the next batch as well. <laughs> <laughs> see what i want to get into some wolverine action yeah all right until next time everybody take care of yourselves <laughs>